Hey everyone, we welcome you to another episode of the Cosmic Matrix podcast with your hosts Bernard Gunther and Laura Matsu. The topic of this episode is how to heal toxic shame and not feeling good enough. It's definitely a biggie, which many of us can relate to. So based on this topic, we'll be diving into the difference between shame and guilt, because these those two get sometimes confused. What is healthy shame versus toxic shame? It's interesting. There's an aspect of healthy shame and toxic, toxic shame's two main faces in people, as well as several strategies on how we can begin to heal from shame. Um, but before we dive into it, little announcement. We have another round coming up of our 12-week private online group coaching program, Time of Transition Embodied Soul Awakening. That's an in-depth three-month program in psychological and spiritual self-work. And the new dates are July 18th until October 8th. And applications and enrollment has started. You can apply at awakenapply.com or also go to my website at veilofreality.com. Look under courses for the Time of Transition Embodied Soul Awakening course to find out more about it and apply there as well. So how to heal toxic shame and not feeling good enough. The good old I'm not good enough program that comes up for many of us. Yeah, I think this is really a main kind of core wound of the human condition as well, that we all kind of struggle with this kind of feeling of just not being good enough. And, you know, it's gone on for a really long time, a lot of us, our whole lives. And the reason why it's, I, we've come to realize that it's super important, especially in context with like inner work, psycho-spiritual self-work, is that it can actually get in the way of everything else. So if you don't deal with the toxic shame-based identity, it will be very hard for you to even face yourself clearly, face your situation, face who you are, face whatever's going on with you in your own psyche, you know, because the shame will almost create this protective barrier around certain aspects of your personality, your shadow most likely that you find to be unacceptable. And it will have all of these kind of defense mechanisms kind of pushing everything away. So I've seen, you know, especially people, by the way, this is a very strong thing in people who have strong Virgo, six house placements astrologically is like this, I'm not good enough program has run them kind of to the ground and they've created all sorts of like false selves basically to um, protect anyone from ever finding out that that's how they even really feel about themselves inside, including themselves. Yes. So it can be a really big barrier basically. And the kind of healthy aspect of that Virgo archetype would be humility, would be to recognize that you're not perfect, that you're always improving, that you're going to make mistakes, that you're going to fall, fall down. And it doesn't make you any more unworthy of love because you're that way as well. So that's kind of like, I, I think is personally also heightened right now, especially because as we've been talking about in several podcasts, we're at this end of this era, this Virgo Pisces axis, basically the end of the Piscean age and then entering the Aquarian age. 
And all of those themes are exaggerated, you know? So this I'm not good enough program that's very um, common to this Virgo archetype is you see people like the majority of humans who walk around in the world literally walk around in a trance of unworthiness. That's what Tara Brock uh, meditation teacher calls it, where they don't even see themselves clearly. They don't see reality clearly. And they're literally in this constant trance of I'm not feeling good enough. And then you can see how that's a perfect matrix program as well. Yeah, I definitely can relate to that as well. The so-called I'm not good enough program. And also, you know, you made a very important point. For a lot of people, the shame is not just conscious, but unconscious. It becomes very buried in the unconscious. Yes. And we create the false self, a false personality around it to avoid this deep pain based on this uh, toxic shame, really. And you know what? The thing is, is it will become so buried that the only way that they can actually experience the shame is by projecting shame onto other people. So people who are very outwardly shaming, that's a projection of actually most likely the toxic shame that they feel about themselves. We could talk about this in relate to the the woke culture (laughs) as well. Exactly. That's what I'm kind (laughs) of alluding towards is like the the main kind of method of control for the woke and kind of the the progressive left these days is to shame people like shame on you you don't care about grandma you didn't get the jab shame on you you don't put your pronouns in your you know they all control through shame this is the i mean i've written about this in an article but it's also an aspect of like the toxic feminine Mm -hmm. the toxic feminine controls through guilt and shame and actually the tyranny that we're seeing on the planet in my personal view has way more to do with the toxic feminine and then this toxic masculinity that people talk about. Right. So that's why it's very relevant and that's why it affects us. And this is why it's also very important to look at it and to look at the ways that shame operates within yourself because this is the main method of control of the kind of currently dominating matrix forces, actually. Exactly. exactly. It, oh, on, sorry. On that note, it reminds me as well, I want to bring this out because it really ties also, before we dive into it, deeper was understanding um you know there are different levels of consciousness as mapped out by david hawkins in his book power versus force uh we have referenced it quite a few times in our podcast and also in my articles i've mentioned that um and you know on top is enlightenment peace joy love these higher frequency states of being um going down to reason acceptance willingness courage then pride then it goes lower anger desire fear grief and at the bottom of the level of consciousness at the very bottom is guilt and shame shame at the very bottom Mm. right above death basically yeah and a lot of people who wallowed in deep guilt and shame also prone to be to su- to be suicide suicidal i know in my own process when i was really reveling in deep guilt and shame that's when the suicide thoughts kicked in mm-hmm. you know what it is though you know so like people may be like harboring toxic shame uh, and have these different faces for it which we're going to get into in a second but um but 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 the, it's it's the death of the life of the soul basically yes you know like there's a light of your own inner child actually which is an essential aspect of healing toxic shame 
And toxic shame literally just kind of puts like the stranglehold on the light of your inner child because mm. you're not allowed to express yourself freely. You're constantly, a lot of people who have this I'm not good enough program run this constant self-critical either internal or external program. So they either have a strong internal inner critic or a strong external outer critic, depending on how it manifests. Right. So... Okay, so let's go into the difference between shame and guilt. Yes, that's a big one. Okay, so um, we're going to be referencing two main materials here, mainly actually John Bradshaw, this really amazing book called Healing the Shame That Binds You, and also a relationship coach, Jason Gaddis, who also we watched a recent talk with him about shame. So um, basically, in John Bradshaw's book, he talks about how that shame in itself is not bad because it's this normal human emotion. In fact, it's necessary to feel shame if one is to be truly human. Shame is the emotion that gives us permission to be human. Shame tells us of our limits. Shame keeps us in our human boundaries, letting us know that we can, we can and we will make mistakes and that we all need help. Our shame tells us that we are not God. Healthy shame is a psychological foundation of humility. It is a source of spirituality. It's fascinating because mm-hmm. he's speaking exactly to the kind of journey of like rate kind of like elevating that Virgo archetype as well. Um, and then he talks about toxic shame later and talks. So it's basically shame is this healthy sh- human emotion um, that shows us our limitations that shows us, okay, like I'm, I can't, like, I'm not going to be an amazing soccer player the first time I try, if I've never played soccer before, for example, you know, we might feel a bit embarrassed, healthy shame. Right. And then he says, shame as a healthy human, human emotion can then be transformed into shame as a state of being. So this is that trance of unworthiness that Tara Brock also talked about. And as a state of being, shame takes over one's whole identity. To have shame as an identity is to believe that one's being is flawed, that one is defective as a human being. Once shame is transformed into an identity, it becomes toxic and dehumanizing. Um So we'll go into that a little bit more later, but also then I want to differentiate between shame and guilt. So there's healthy shame and toxic shame. Those are two definitions. And then there's also guilt. So there's also actually healthy guilt. Yes, exactly. So shame, so shame, and this is Jason Gaddis's kind of interpretation is a perception that you've done something bad or wrong based on your beliefs, values, or integrity. To yourself. To yourself. Right. To yourself. Like, oh, like I didn't want to get drunk and you know pass out. Like that's when you act out of moral integrity, basically. And then it creates this belief that I'm bad. But then he proposed a really great question. It's like, according to who? According to whose values? According to your parents' values that you've taken in within yourself and says that's yours? According to, you know, the church or your religion or something, you know? So that's, that's, that's this kind of shame piece, right? And then that's the question we want to ask ourselves is, are we shaming or are we being shamed in accordance to something that is our values at all? Cause if we're not like if the sh- if the church is telling us you can't have sex before marriage then you do but your values are not the same as your church that you grew up with then you need to also look at that because a lot of people try and shame us according to their values which is really key so we already see right there that our perception or experience of shame directly relates to our internal value system our upbringing, conditioning, programming, culturally, socially, parental, and all of that, so yes. which we also go deeper 
shortly. Exactly. And so that's when it, when you have, when you know your values and you act out of integrity, it would be healthy to feel shame and to right. do things to correct it. Like that's the main point of it. It's a healthy human emotion. We all have it. And then guilt is, is kind of intertied with shame. And guilt is a perception that you've done something bad or hurt someone else or wrong to someone else, basically. So the impact internally is shame and the impact on the other is guilt, you know? Exactly. And then also, so again, you know, like, did you really hurt some, did you really hurt that person, you know, and if you did hurt them, then the healthy thing would be to make amends and, you know, to use the feeling of guilt to be like, hey, I feel really bad about this. I'm so sorry I said that thing. I didn't mean, you know what I mean? Like, that's the healthy even aspect of guilt as well. Yeah. You know, healthy- there are two functions of conscience. That's why they're so fundamental and fundamentally important to even the spiritual journey as well. Yeah, that's very important to understand that there's an aspect of healthy shame and healthy guilt. And even Carl Jung said, and I'm paraphrasing that, you know, in order to become whole, an integrated whole being man or human needs to accept and own his own guilt, his healthy guilt, which again, like you said, an aspect of conscience. Uh, that's why, we, by the way, another note, which we also be touching upon, psychopaths, sociopaths, they have no shame, no guilt, no moral compass, no conscience whatsoever. They're extremely shameless, mm. right? Hence they act without shame, without guilt and, 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 you know, destroy lives on, on their path. Um, but yeah, healthy guilt is an accept, uh, aspect of conscience. For example, if you steal something from your friend, you should quote unquote feel guilty. Yeah. Right. You're kind of also violating universal law. You're hurting somebody. And that healthy uh, guilt is an aspect to make amends to stop you from engaging in these harmful activities towards your fellow human beings. Yeah. And it's really, you know, John Bradshaw also talks about that healthy self-worth is necessary for healthy shame. Mm-hmm. So as long as we have this kind of like the thing is, is a narcissistic personality takes on two faces. I'm not good enough and I'm the best in the world actually. Cause like they're both distorted views of reality. Like maybe you're not the greatest, but you're also not the worst either, you know, and kind of placing healthy self-worth some somewhere in the middle of, of, of those two. But you know, the healthy self-worth is necessary for healthy shame because if we have a healthy sense of ourself, when we do something and we even feel shame in the moment or we feel guilty, it doesn't touch on that core part of our identity. And that's why I think he named this book Healing the Shame That Binds You is because there's shame as a state of being. Like there's literally people who walk around, whether they're conscious or not, in this trance of unworthiness, never feeling worthy, never recognizing their own light, their own power, you know, and it's literally like this... Uh, it strangles their personality, you know? And so you need to actually have that healthy self-worth as a foundation to even experience shame in a healthy way. Because if you don't, the moment that someone makes something that you perceive as a criticism, even if it's not, or even if it is, doesn't matter, actually, you will spiral into these shame spirals. And and, and that's how you know, actually, that toxic shame is a part of your identity when you literally spiral into shame-based narratives whenever this kind of stuff happens yeah and he also made a good distinction or add on you know the whole this overly narcissistic inflated ego is also self-importance right it's an ego issue but on the opposite side of the coin the i'm not good enough program the self-pity is actually also an aspect of ego it's very self-centered it's narcissistic it's very narcissistic ironically as well but most of us we identify in this poor me 
identity, basically. Yes. But I want to just um, uh, add on what you just said. You know, with toxic shame, is really you have internalized belief that you are a fundamentally flawed person, mm. right? A person, you can come to believe that your whole self is fundamentally flawed and detective. Um, so healthy guilt would say, for example, I made a mistake or a blunder and I can repair that blunder. When a person's guilt has become neurotic, though, it becomes an immorality shame. A person says, I am a, I am a mistake. Everything I do is flawed and defective. So as, uh, what's his name, John Bradshaw says, the demonic potential of shame can lead to the most destructive emotional sickness of a self a person can have. Yes. Because you really identify that you are a mistake. Something is fundamentally wrong with you. Yes, exactly. And remember, this is not necessarily conscious in yes. some people. I think it becomes conscious as you kind of proceed on the path of like inner work and you start to realize that a lot of your core beliefs kind of come from this I'm not good enough program, you know, but you know, people walk around in a trance and the whole matrix like feeds off of this I'm not good enough program, the marketing, the like everything advertisement everything yeah. almost all the matrix programs can tag into this i'm not good enough program because as long as you think you're deficient you will also be externally seeking for things that you think will provide you that feeling of uh good enoughness basically yeah. I mean, a lot of advertising the consensus the mainstream marketing and products is shown you like you know you are not happy, you're not fulfilled until you have this product. <laughs> so yeah. in, in a sense, it is shame-inducing, right? Or nowadays, what we see as well with the whole charade on social media, Facebook, Instagram, you know, models and people showing off their lives and all of that, and we compare ourselves to them, right? We feel ashamed because we have a certain perception, positive shadow projection on these people, and we compare ourselves and don't feel don't feel good enough we feel we're missing something in comparison to others yeah right so it's very self-shame inducing yeah but before we go deep into the toxic shame i also want to like again it's very important to understand healthy shame and like you said and like you mentioned before uh healthy shame is essentially a foundation of our spirituality right it is a, it's a part of humility yeah and that's where the balance same of healthy guilt comes in on on a more, more practical level what it really means on a basic level know your strengths on the healthy level but also know your limitations yeah you know what you're really good at and what you're not good at you yeah. know healthy shame points you like to really like he said to not to assume that you're god you know that's a whole other topic even the self-help world you know where people say you can do and be anything you want you know what i mean like almost this uh, trying to attain godlike status status and that's fundamentally a lie and and then we produce this idealized image of ourselves which we think we need to achieve or become when we compare ourselves to other to that and that just feeds more and more our toxic shame we'll, we'll never match up to that idealized exactly. image as well yeah so can we talk about these two faces of shame because you kind of touched on it with the instagram culture as well this is really important piece yeah the two faces of shame in in our culture and i find this to be very true so he says this is john bradshaw again shamelessness so in our sh she he means like acting like you're you don't feel ashamed of everything like you show yourself naked on social media or like everyone look at me you know and he actually says in our shameless culture sex has been become depersonalized and because you know 
shame is basically healthy shame is a guardian of our sexuality so that we're not running naked in the street whenever you know we want like a child would basically you know so this kind of um you know and, and so there's this shamelessness so like i i can't be shamed i don't care about anything kind of whatever attitude you know people who also um you know uh have have trauma and then have a lot of sex partners are also engaging in this aspect of shamelessness like just being like i don't care i'm just casual sex etc you know so that's one face and then the other face is righteousness self-righteousness you know so acting like you're above shame basically because and he says since healthy shame says we can and will make mistakes um then righteousness becomes a kind of shameless behavior all in all, the religious system has been a major sh- source of toxic shame for many people. So when we act above other people, when we act like we're better than other people, when we act because we subscribe to a certain religion or diet, or even we do shadow work or we meditate, and that makes us better than other people, that can potentially be this righteous form of shame. So we want to really look at that because that's, I mean, I have it sometimes in some areas of my life. I think we all do, you know, but that's a really big face of it because again, we're acting like above human or we're acting below human. So that's a very important point. And again, that might actually trigger some people, but you mentioned the whole idea about shameless culture. Sex has become depersonalized. And we see nowadays, especially in New Age, Tantra, whatever, Bernie Man crowd out there of just this idea of body body positivity and, and women sexualizing themselves, showing off, you know, uh, you know, not necessarily naked, but very sexual poses that kind of feed off of all the attention. And there's a shamelessness uh, uh, behind that, even in the polyamory, many lovers, you know, sexual openness and all of that. Sexual shame is is is, is a whole topic in itself, but when it becomes shameless and you just like, you know, do whatever you want because you think you're free and, and so open-minded, but unconsciously this kind of shamelessness is based on internalized unconscious toxic shame yes so that's we need it to, could be that's so a shamelessness is based on very yeah, toxic because shame that's what he gets into later is that essentially shame is the guardian of the sacredness of our sexuality right like it's healthy like if my shirt just blew off in the wind in front of a crowd of people it would be the healthiest thing in the world for me to hold like cover myself up and kind of cower a little bit which is a somatic gesture for shame so and also you know i I'm sure maybe people disagree, but I don't personally think that like we're married. I'm not going to share my sex life and my body with someone who I'm not in that type of relationship with. You know, I think it's healthy to also, you know, protect your body and your sexuality a little bit, especially around because it's like it's the most sacred and vulnerable part of you. It's not, you know, it's healthy to not want to show that to everyone. Yeah. And in adultery, engaging in all of that, there should be actually healthy shame and healthy guilt coming up as yes. an act of conscience. Yes, yes. Right? And then so that's one thing. And then there's a self-righteousness. So it's almost like I have there's one face that's like that's that's almost going to one send of the pendulum. It's like I don't feel shame about anything. Just look at me naked on the internet everywhere i don't care you know and then there's the self-righteousness as well be like i would never do this i would never do that you know like i like and that's when people adopt all these isms to their personality and they adopt all these you know um ideologies and adopt them as part of their personality you know including and that's all across the board any moment that you start to identify some interest that you have as part of your personality 
it could potentially be this kind of self-righteous part of shame because you're trying to be like, I don't do this. That makes me better than you. I know about this. That makes me better than yeah. you. That's a shame game. And that's everybody's affected to this to varying degrees. And that ties into the trap trap of identification, which, by the way, um, we're going to have an episode on that topic in itself at some point as well. And what that means, like Laura just said, you identify with a certain ideology and belief within ism. It can be both. You identify as a liberal and you're very self-righteous about that or also you identify as a conservative right whatever republican and you're very self-righteous about that you identify with the diet veganism or anything you become very self-righteous about that so there's a shamelessness aspect embedded in, in that obviously any religion yeah. is also based on the on this identification can easily turn into self-righteousness so self-righteousness is an aspect of shamelessness is an aspect of your unconscious shame you have internalized but covered up with a false persona. Exactly, yeah. And then the false persona gets to be so hardened and we get so used to thinking that's who we really are that we don't actually realize that we're cutting ourselves off from the true self, you know? Yeah. And that's the whole thing is like, that's why it's such a barrier to deeper self-work and really looking at that as well. And I mean, I've had to sit with that myself. We, we're just speaking about this from totally personal experience just to kind of like normalize it. And I can see I mean, when I first heard that term from Tara Brock, like healing the trance of unworthiness, I just like a light bulb went on my head. I was like, holy crap, my self-image is totally skewed according to actually how my parents didn't mirror me and didn't see me, you know? And so I live in this trance of like not seeing myself clearly that I have to somehow wake myself up from. And I'm still in the process of waking myself up from actually. And so there's, there's some steps that he goes into and maybe we can just talk about them one by one or you, yeah. Yeah. Okay. So this is just from John Bradshaw's and we'll kind of speak to them. And I, and I agree with him actually on these points because I've gone through a similar process myself through doing my own inner work and just kind of doing my own soul retrievals actually on my inner child. So, Before, you know. I want to just uh, uh, quote him real quick about this toxic shame and the false uh, personality. Okay, we just yes, talked about. yes. So, John Bradshaw, this is because very well said here, John Bradshaw, again, in his book, which we can highly recommend. Uh, Healing he, the shame that binds you. Exactly. Uh, toxic shame is unbearable and always necessitates a cover up, a false self. Mm. Since one feels his true self is defective and flawed, mostly unconsciously. One needs a false self that is not detective and flawed, hence the self-righteousness, right, or, or shamelessness. Once one becomes a false self, one ceases to exist psychologically. To be a false self is to cease being an authentic human being. The process of false self-formation is what Alice Miller calls soul murder. Mm, yeah. And that's what we're seeing, you know, we, the whole matrix program is just bolster the false self, bolster the false self. Oh, you don't feel in people, you know what people actually, even myself included, get into self work because they're trying to just fix this shame based identity. Right. So it's shame fueled. It's like they're constantly mm. working on themselves fueled by shame. And I'm not saying that that's like, you know, you can actually learn some stuff by doing that. But you want to understand like how important it is to address the shame because the shame is like this cover up to the true light that is actually meant to emerge when you're doing this kind of work, you know, and as long as the shame is covering that up, you're not going to get to the real essence on why you're probably drawn to doing self-work in the first place. Yeah, And that's why even like it feels like it can be like an 
never ending digging, you know, trying to find, yeah. trying to, you know, avoid uh, the disillusionment process to really face your shame because that's necessary in order to heal. Yeah. And, you know, as John Bradshaw said as well, hell, in his opinion, is never finding your true self and never living your own life or knowing who you are. This is the f uh, this is the fate that lies at the end of the journey of ever deepening toxic shame. So on that note, let's look a bit uh, about a little bit into the origin of shame because it all goes back to our upbringing, and you know we can go even deeper than that, past life karmic stuff and all of that soul lessons. But really, on the basic level, shame originated toxic shame in childhood, especially when we were raised by parents or caregivers who tried to get their needs met through us ties into narcissistic wounding basically um, shame-based parents right who also have not confronted their own internal shame and then basically project it or give it on to their children so it's very multi-generational it can um, affect all our whole ancestor generational line mm. and it becomes very much uh, internalized and like we mentioned before part of the identity so, for example, um, as John Bradshaw writes, toxic shame is multi-generational. It is passed from one generation to the next. Shame-based people find other shame-based people and even get married. As each member of a couple carries the shame from his or her own family system, their marriage will be grounded in the shame core. The major outcome of this will be lack of intimacy. It's difficult to let someone get close to you if you feel defective and flawed as a human being. Shame-based couples maintain non-intimacy non through poor communication, non-productive circular fighting, games, manipulation, vying for control, withdrawal, blaming, and so on and so forth. When a child is born to these shame-based parents, the deck is stacked from the beginning. You know, with healthy, mature parents, their job is to model, right? Modeling includes how to be a man or woman, how to relate intimately to another person, how to acknowledge and express emotions, how to fight fairly, how to have physical, emotional, and intellectual boundaries, how to communicate, how to cope and survive life's unending problems, and so forth and so forth. Um, so obviously, shame-based parents cannot do any of these. So what happens then that the needy, shame-based parents cannot possibly take care of their children's needs. The child, the child is then shamed whenever he or she is needy because the child's needs, the child's needs clash with the parents' needs. Mm. So the parents shame the child. The child grows up and becomes an adult. But underneath the mask of adult behavior, there's a child who was neglected. Needy children are insatiable. They have insatiable. A, insatiable. Thank you. <laughs> They have a hole in their soul created by unresolved grief and developmental dependency def deficits. This makes them adult children. They can never get enough as adults. Healthy adults are satisfied with what they get and work harder to get more the ne next time. An adult child can't get enough because it's really a child's needs that are in question. Mm. So this whole, uh, when we are, you know, that's why I say we see in this world where a lot of adults, you know, or a lot of wounded children in adult suits. Yeah. And we have all, the, many of us, most of us have this internalized shame and we're still trying to get our unmet childhood needs met through our partners or through, you know, externalizing and all of that. Yeah. But really the, the basis of this internalized shame is abandonment in, in our childhood. Yeah. And that's why the inner child piece, you know, as cliche and cheesy as it may so sound to people, 
This is basically recovering that original light in you that was put out because you didn't have the childhood to support it, essentially. So you need to build that light within yourself again. And he talks about this and it is, it is, and I've actually found this through my own journey is that you need to almost go through this soul retrieval with your inner child. And he gives some, he gives some uh, stages for this. I'm just going to touch on them. So he talks about this first stage, you know, which is recovery. So this is recovering your sense of self-worth through someone who supports and mirrors you. So getting used to talking and sharing your feelings with someone who you know is going to support you and love you, you know, this is like coach, therapist, you know, someone you got that you got to have someone who can really mirror you in that way, because that resolves this kind of original childhood developmental need to be mirrored, to be seen. But it's important that you also move past this stage. Otherwise you do create this dependency on the therapist, on the coach, or on the group, you know, like a child who needs its mother. Mm -hmm. So that's really important to remember that this is just the first stage to get that mirroring, you know. The second stage actually is to grieve the pain of the past losses. And this also usually happens in some sort of relational context, like a therapist, a coach, or whatever, you know. Um, And basically, to do this, we're going to need to also temporarily psychically or physically separate from our parents so we can grieve the losses of the inner child. And again, this inner child carries this playfulness, this creativity to the ability, our ability to love in a very, you know, spontaneous way, basically. So to the extent that we feel like we don't have that in our lives, that ability to play, to love, to express affection is to the extent that our inner child has likely been locked away. And in order to grieve properly, we actually need this validation from someone, you know, because often people deny how angry, how sad they are, how much shame they're carrying. And then they have all these defense strategies to pretend that they don't feel vulnerable in any way. So it's important to have that mirroring and that kind of loving connection with someone who can validate and support you in that grieving process. It's very hard to grieve alone, actually. And just even someone being there while we cry not trying to fix it, not trying to make it go away, not trying to tell us, oh, this is what you need to do or whatever, but just be with us as a human being in that process allows us to process the past. So that's very important to understand because the toxic shame, the internalized shame identity has been created in relationship through your upbringing, caretakers, parents, you know, society, anybody, you know, we we live in a shaming culture to begin with, So as Laura just mentioned, we can only heal in relationship by relating. Yeah. There's, you know, there's a lot of work you can do on it by yourself, but it's very limited. So relating doesn't mean that you have to find the perfect partner, intimate relationship and and your soulmate and all of that. No, but it can be any friend, can be therapist, group. So if you say you don't have anyone, that's also part of, of, of the lesson to be able to ask for her to seek out. And there might be shame coming up, actually. Yes. I remember for me, when I was dealing with my own quote-unquote shit and, and, and shame more coming up, I was ashamed for asking for help. Yes, that's right? normal, yeah. So that's normal. So that's also facing that face, you know, in a sense, and and act on it despite the shame we're feeling and just seeking help, seeking that that, that sincere will to heal because we need to face the shame. Yeah, and we need to be with it almost like somatically, you know, and like just kind of almost develop our capacity to be with the emotion of shame, you know, and also to really realize that if we're 
in a near constant state of shame or we're going into shame spirals just because we shared our feelings honestly with a friend, you know, and then because this happens a lot with people. I think Brene Brown, who I'm not a big fan of these days, but she talked about how these kind of shame spirals that happen after we're vulnerable with someone, you know, so there's all of these events, which it doesn't make sense logically for us to go into shame. And that's really important for us to look at, you know, because even while we're, so if we, so say if you're like, okay, I need to really heal my shame. I need to reach out. I need to find someone to, to work with, you know, you may actually be experiencing shame when talking with them and when healing with them in and, and making even, you could even make up stories in your head that that person is shaming you as well, because yes. that's kind of how the psyche works is like, we project our inner world onto the person who, you know, is trying to probably help us. So we want to also just kind of realize that, you know, first it's important to like, just make the shame a little bit more conscious, like be able to consciously start recognizing when you feel shame. And I would invite people to just start talking about the things that they feel shame about with people who are kind of safe, trusted friends. Cause I also believe that Brene Brown, you know, she said a very powerful quote that shame can't survive being spoken. I don't know if I agree with that fully, but I do know that there's a very healing thing about releasing shame from the shadows and talking about the things that you feel shameful about. It can be, I I don't know what it is, but it kind of just brings it into the conscious awareness and it almost like removes its power actually from doing that. Yeah. It's exactly as, as John Bradshaw says right here. You must be willing to come out of hiding and embrace your toxic shame. Mm. If you refuse to admit your powerlessness and the unmanageability, unmanageability of your life, you cannot find the inner strength you have been covering up because you feel flawed and defective. So that's even from an esoteric spiritual perspective, this is the descent into the darkness, into the shadow to uncover all that the exile, right? And it might not feel comfortable, but the avoidance will make it worse over time and time. You will just build a more false facade, a false safe, false self. And as John Bradshaw said, that's ultimately hell because you're not living a true life. You're not living your true self. You're living a lie. Yeah. And the only way out is in and through. And he said the good news is that we can recover, you know, and uncover and discover our true self and personal power. And ultimately, You know, it, it's it's a twofold process. It's like establishing a healthy sense of self, healthy self-esteem, healthy ego. But ultimately, the true healing, no matter what happened to you in your life, one part of you, the true self, your essence, cannot be harmed by anything. And that's where you really, really we need to connect to. Yeah. Um, okay. So let's just talk about the last point. So the grief work, the grieving work takes a long time, by the way, that's not something you just do one therapy session and you're just, Oh, I cried a little bit about my childhood and, and it's done <laughs> like that inner shot. Like, and you'll know because the, the, the creative playfulness, this affectionate part of your nature, this loving part of your nature will automatically come forward. Like that's what happens when you free the inner child. It's very obvious because it will show more itself in your personality. Like we have this spontaneous, intuitive, you know, funny, playful part of ourselves that tends to get very locked away. And that's how we know that the inner child needs to be retrieved, basically. So, you know, sharing the shaming experiences, grieving the past, having someone validate our pain somehow, you know, is really important. And that's when the therapist or coach or any safe, non-shaming environment comes in. 
And then with the grief work comes all sorts of different emotions like anger and loneliness, you know, and there, it can take a while to kind of retrieve that inner child from usually the prison cell that we've locked it into and start to feel safe to live in our lives again. So we just want to have patience with ourselves through that process. And then this is a huge thing. The last piece, he talks about corrective experiences. So once you feel safe to kind of express your true essence, you'll just feel like yourself again. You'll literally feel like you did when you were a child and you were just playing and being yourself and not a care in the world and no strong inner critic telling you to not to do this or not to do that, you know? And we really start to liberate that inner child and we allow it to start to engage with our life basically um, again. And so we have, and this child has a healthy sense of itself. Um, it often still needs some mirroring, you know, and, and some love from us in order to, in order to uh, feel safe to kind of come out, you know? So we need to kind of learn how to be with that vulnerable, playful, creative, fun part of ourselves and kind of nurture it and almost like grow it up a little bit and and reparent it through the, through the different developmental stages that probably didn't get, you know, accurate parenting and mirroring. So that's when that kind of self relationship with the inner child needs to be built. And then we also need to grow it up to the level of maturity that it needs to be operating at for, for our age, basically, you know? So rather than just, I, I can see people actually get a little bit stuck here as well, where they just do inner child work. And then they just kind of have this like, um, inner child who just does whatever it wants and it's actually a very destructive inner child because it hasn't graduated it hasn't grown up yet you know so we need to grow up that inner child and allow it to express itself in a healthy way so that we're able to actualize our creative projects we're able to love people we're able to show affection to the people around us and we're also able to have healthy relationships which is a huge part of it which are not based on us trying to get the needs of our inner child met through our partner which i have to say will happen to some extent anyway but there's you you can't completely depend on your partner to um just parent you basically like there needs to be some level of parenting you're able to do yourself and then yeah maybe your inner child gets hurt or comes out in your relationship and then you can do a little bit of repair but also we want to not like overly project these unmet childhood needs onto our partner because then it will create a child parent child dynamic basically exactly we need to differentiate our unmet childhood needs which we need to parent within ourselves or the therapist, or group, or some some deeper inner work, uh, and not trying to get them fulfilled through our partner or anything else outside ourselves, right? Even like a lot of people we, we met just before want to be around like-minded people and groups, especially nowadays, and more power to that. But most often it is driven by unconscious, I'm not good enough program. I need to be validated. Shame, and I need to be validated yes. without healing the shame. So we become very independent, attached to certain groups, yeah. movements and all of that. But let's not skip that stage though. To cover up. But that's an important stage though, to get that validation. Yes, like, right. so the best kind of therapist that like, like when you have a therapist who's kind of on the same level with you or you join some sort of group, you know, you'll feel that sense of safety that you never got in the home. Yeah, that's like, very important. I can be myself. Oh, this person feels like 
like they accept me. I feel like I can be myself around them. That's how you feel, yeah. you know? But then you don't want to overly, like you need to also be able to be yourself out in the world and not just depend on the therapist or the yeah. group or the AA club or whatever, you know, because then that will create the dependency. And I've seen people do this with AA actually as yes, well. Yes, I see um, that a lot too, yeah. So we want to, you know, so those, so those are the kind of stages if you need to listen over, you know, we talked about the recovery. You need to recover the self-worth through that validation, find a safe space where you can grieve the past losses and then have corrective experiences and also developmentally grow up that inner child. And in the second hour, we're going to go into... Yeah, there I want to really fix this really interesting aspect. I want to go deeper into the creation of the false self and the different aspects of the false self as a cover for the toxic shame. And it's very fascinating because even John Bradshaw talks about that, including, uh, what is her name? Alice, Alice Miller. Alice Miller. What was a book, very famous book? Um, um, I forget. Um, brain fart. <laughs> we'll mention it later. Um, the drama of the gifted child. Yes, That's yes, it. Very yes. good. That's also raised it. We're going to quote her. But it's really fascinating. Very out in the world, people we, we tend to look up to, high achievers, extremely successful people. There are famous, powerful entrepreneurs, millionaires, billionaires. Mm. Uh, what they're driven by is actually their own unconscious toxic shame. Yes. To, uh, you know, compensate that wound within yeah. and create a certain image, you know, being fueled by this unconscious pain. So that's very, that's, that's a big topic almost in itself, the idea of success, because we can, from a soul evolutionary perspective, we can quote unquote waste a lot of time, even lifetimes by um, denying the wound within the sacred wound, the toxic shame, toxic guilt, whatever it may be, and trying to avoid compensate. it by compensate by building this false self and externalizing, finding only success, happiness out there. And it looks great from a matrix, you know, uh, everyday perspective. You have, you know, all, all the success but you haven't really progressed at all on the soul evolutionary level. So I want to, let's talk about that. Yeah. And then we're also going to talk a little bit on the healing strategies that have to do with values as well and behavior, like some, you know, and just kind of addressing it from that, that point, because that also has a lot to do with why we feel shame. Exactly. And uh, yeah, more healing strategies around that. And I want to also go back to this uh, map by David Hawkins about levels of consciousness of guilt and shame and how this also ties a bit into your cult because there's other forces, entities that feed a, that kind of lower frequency, you know, and kind of keeps us down there through this this internalized shame and, and, and constantly beating us up and, and thought injections and all of that. So I want to touch upon that as well. And of course, we also, again, go deeper into this topic and on a not only on healing shame, but going deeper into shadow work, which is an aspect of that as well, trauma work and all of that, and deeper spiritual work, because ultimately, beyond the psychological progress of childhood, uh, uncovering childhood wounding, healing in a child, we also want to aspire to something higher, a higher power, right? God, the divine, our true self essence, right? That's one aspect that is not harmed, regardless of whatever happened in your childhood, you know, you can recover from it by connecting, by really embracing, bringing forth the true self, our essence. And that's really the ultimate healing journey. So um, all of that in the second hour. Um, again, if you want to join us for a 12-week group protein program, we have our applications open again at awakenapply.com or you can go to Bernhard's website, veiledofreality.com and 
Yeah, with that being said, see you in the second hour. Yes, and if you don't have access to the second hour yet and want to, you can also sign up at my website, veilofreality.com, to the membership. Gets you access to all the second hours, including the membership forum, and it would also help to support our work. Thank you so much, and see you in the second hour. <laughs>